Yes. Okay. Uh, obligatory, funny. Let's 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 paint this one by the numbers. Obligatory, funny, non sequitur, sort of random aside about video games and/or anime. Uh, side social commentary. Uh, and because we're doing all of that, this is the Big Bang Theory. Theory. Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Nick. And I was watching the first episode of Samurai Champloo last night, and I was like, Hell yeah! Oh, well, I was actually going to say, I remember watching that on Adult Swim as it was coming out, because I was in college. I had just left my hometown to move to the next nearest by larger town. And I remember, uh, I think Samurai Champloo was the first big anime that Sunrise did after Cowboy Bebop. But it this was is not, correct. not nearly as good as Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> and so going back and watching it, and I'm like, oh, this isn't great. But then the ending song, like, I don't know, it's kind of like a generic Japanese pop song, but I'm like, oh, God, it's it's piercing my heart. I remember how I feel when I was, like, 20 years old, walking around in the dark, cold of winter, doing my laundry, watching anime on Adult Swim. Oh, it's all coming back. Yeah, I don't. I admit, it's not, I can't figure out why it's not as good. I mean maybe it's just over stylized i feel like the plot like it certainly tries just i feel like it tries as hard as cowboy bebop it's it doesn't feel like at any point in the show they were just phoning it in it just doesn't doesn't succeed as often yeah. as cowboy bebop does i'd have to rewatch it to give a real explanation but yeah i, I don't have like serious i have complaints that, about it i could go into but that's, that's this you know this sounds like a uh a good supplementary podcast for yeah. us. We could charge. I would. I bet we could charge the four people who listen to this regularly money to do a a twenty six episode bonus series. Where we on, just complain about Champloo. We're not gonna complain. I mean, we will. We. It's okay to not. I feel like not as good as Cowboy Bebop is not the same thing as like. Truly, let's put it this way: Samurai Champloo is better than the Netflix version of Cowboy Bebop, apparently. Oh, good God! Well, uh, you know, like let's let's boogie because, hey, audience, you may not know this. This is <laughs> Three, attempt two, number one, five let's dance. in this episode after doing a series of technical issues, and I, I went into this take promising we were going to jump right in and attack. But Kyle and I, being who we are, we got five seconds into that plan before. It's like, you know, Samurai Champloo, it had its ups and downs. And maybe we should start a... So anyway, let's let's talk about this freaking episode. And then, you know, maybe we'll circle back to Samurai Champloo. Probably we will. Uh, but for, for today's episode, we watch Season 5, Episode 17, uh, officially titled The Rothman Disintegration. Uh, it's got a real solid A and B plot. I am going to... Describe them distinctly from one another because they have no interconnectedness. So plot A is uh, the nerds are uh, attending or they're leaving a retirement party for Professor Rothman, who uh, was getting up in years, finally snapped and is, in, is being forced into retirement uh, and is seen a couple times in the episode just uh, wandering around his old office completely nude. Uh once his because he's leaving his office, Kripke, uh, who anyone who doesn't remember, is the mostly normal other professor who has a speech impediment and is just kind of a jerk. Uh, he and Sheldon fight over Rothman's office. Uh, they decide that they are going to settle it in a contest of something that they are both equally bad at. They choose a basketball competition, 
Neither of them can score a point against the other because neither of them has the basic hand-eye coordination to get a ball into a basket, no matter what. Uh, eventually, Leonard gets so sick of this that he says, hey, whoever can bounce the ball the highest gets the office. Sheldon gets the office in this way. Uh, he's happy to earn his office only to find that it totally sucks. It's full of traps and hazards, and uh, it's got noodled Rothman in there, still not knowing what's going on. Uh, and it, it drives Sheldon insane. Irony of ironies. He gets what he wants. Oh, be careful what you wish for. There's a lesson in there somewhere. Plot B, here we go. Uh, the ladies are hanging out when Amy brings Penny a gigantic gift, which turns out to be like a, a tremendous, like three feet by five foot portrait of the two of them. And it is ugly and it has a huge heavy frame. And Amy insists that Penny immediately put it up in her tiny, tiny apartment. And Penny hates it, but she doesn't know how to say it. And Bernadette comes over and she's like, oh, you know what? I hate it too. Sucks to be you, Penny. And then she leaves the episode. Uh, later on, Penny, uh, after Amy leaves, is moving the painting from one of her walls into a different area where she doesn't have to look at it anymore. But Amy comes back into the apartment, catches her in the act, and then they have a confrontation where Amy's like, hey, oh my God, you don't like the painting. You know what that means. We're unequal in this friendship, and I like you more than you like me, and everything I've ever thought of was an illusion. I'm going to die alone. Ah! And Penny's like, hey, only some of those things are true. I'm going to lie directly to your face and tell you that the only reason I didn't want the painting up is because it makes Bernadette jealous. And Amy's like, I don't know any better, and this solves all of our problems. Also, by the way, I'm going to hit on you again to let you know that this was originally nude, and I'm totally open to being nude whenever you like. Bye! And that's the end of the episode. Kyle, how do you feel? That was a pretty good summary. Yeah, I was so excited to get in the summary. Uh, I did screw up. We we skipped over our official uh, ratings. And so if you want to give a quick one of those. Seven I'll out of on. 13. Seven out of 13. Six out of 13 for me. Totally mid-tier episode. Serviceable. Two plots. Both coherent. Both move forward. As I mentioned, neither has anything to do with the other. Uh, but neither uh, really had anything that bothered me either. I like Rothman. I like that there is a very kind old man who's just walking around fully nude uh, and that no one is upset by it. Like, that's the other thing, too, is like Rothman has clearly been around long enough that everyone's like, this is just his thing. No, no one's like, oh, God, naked old man. They're just like, ah, that legend. He's had his time. He's he's taking his place wherever it may be. And well, I and want also to earn that respect. <laughs> I think you'll get if anyone if anyone I think gives off the vibe of could be totally naked in public without it being uh, like a transgression against everyone around them. I think you could master that. To be clear, Rothman, they're very explicit. It's not like it's a sex thing with him. He just thinks no, no, he's no, no, invisible. No. Yes. Yeah. No, he's lost it. And uh, there's a, a crack about how that is a very common fate of people in the physics department. And everyone's like, oh, we can't wait till Sheldon gets there, ha ha. And then the episode ends with Sheldon having his head stuck in a mystery hole in the wall and complaining about how the birds outside are singing out of tune with the wind chimes. And so, hey, maybe Sheldon's cracked. Waka waka doo doo, yeah. I have, okay, I'm going to jump forward and say that my recommendation for the episode is going to be the film Bronson, which I worry is a real Oh, shit. What? No, that's fine. All I right. like that movie. I'm looking forward to talking about Bronson. 
Well, and I'm recommending that. I worry it's a re-recommend. Maybe not because he's got so excited about it. But the reason I'm recommending it might it, it does actually seem like a re-recommend. But who cares? Who cares? Not me. Is that uh oh at some point um Sheldon and Kripke? This is it's so weird. Like they they've had nothing but an antagonistic relationship, and yet in trying to figure out who gets to the office, they decide to become suddenly very civil to each other, and even to gang up. Um, in a buddy-buddy kind of way. And so this leads them to confront the president of the university together uh, at a urinal. Um, and uh, the president's like, oh, man, you, you really don't have any idea what personal space is, Sheldon. <laughs> and Kripke leans in and touches the president's shoulder, and he's like, yeah, that guy doesn't get it at all. And it's like, Kripke doesn't get it either. No one in this room gets it. This is funny. And um, at some point... Uh, they're talking, uh, oh God, it has to do with butter. Why am I blanking all of a sudden? Uh, prostate exams. Yes. Uh, oh, right. Because the president complains about how he's not able to urinate and Sheldon, uh, not, you know, taking the moment to understand because two nerds are yelling at him while he's trying to pee suggests it could be a prostate problem. And, uh, yeah, I like that, um, through this pretty annoying exchange that doesn't itself have a lot of comedy going on. Uh, that nonetheless, Sheldon is dryly recommending that the president of the university shove butter up his ass. And that will later lean into why I'm recommending the film Bronson. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, thank you for Kyle understanding where that's going and no one else. I just like the idea of Sheldon being like, hmm, you know what's good for shoving up your butt or for helping you shove your own fingers up your butthole? A lot of butter and... You just being like, hmm, this makes me want to watch a Nicholas Winding Refn classic. Oh yeah, that's uh. I'm also I'm glad that you said his name out loud. I dare not. Those the combination of letters in his name just don't make sense to me, and I, I'm scared. But um, on I so I got my booster shot on Friday, and hey, you know what? Sometimes people on this show they don't like the way we talk about politics. Guess what? We're gonna talk about healthcare. You know what? Maybe you should get your booster shot if you want to. I don't really. That's my strong position on the matter is I don't care what you do but I got my booster shot on Friday and it was a long wait uh just hanging out at the pharmacy waiting to get my shot and while I'm just staring at random things at the pharmacy I saw that they had an enema kit there and there was a part of me that was like why not why not just to see what it's like I've never needed an enema it's one of those things where I'm like, this is completely unnecessary, but I'm getting older. I need new experiences in my life. Like, what, for what reason other than curiosity, aside from curiosity, would I just get a general enema? So, yeah, I mean, you never know when you'll need a completely clean and emptied out butthole. Well, I'm not even saying like getting an enema, you know, like package for the day that I might need to have a clean butt. I'm saying. Getting an enema package, taking it home and using it just to be like, oh, okay, now I know what that's like. Yeah, and I'm saying that if you did that, you might suddenly discover that, like, today is the day, you know, to take advantage of this new freshness. Like, what? So, uh, like like we've, we've mentioned, this is like take five of trying to get our technical issues sorted out. I think I might be having another one right now. So, anyway, uh, enough about your butt, Nick. Um, moving right along. I guess one of the things that I appreciate about this episode is that even though there was basically no stakes to the episode at all, 
they moved through, they just covered a lot of territory in the A-plot. Like, I feel like a lazier version of this episode, the episode would have ended when he got the uh, office and the last bit would have just been him in the office. Um, which I guess it technically is, but just the complication that he puts all that work into getting the office and then uh, he doesn't like it is just like the little bit extra that to me makes makes the episode feel rounded out in a way. Yeah, that uh, he gets his he gets his just desserts for wanting too much too badly. But when when you say there aren't any stakes, I mean you are right, and it makes me wish that leading up to this point it were clear why Sheldon were so eager to have his own office. Because I forget all the time that he and Raj have been sharing an office forever uh, because it never comes up uh, every now and then. Uh, but it doesn't create any friction, uh, nor does it create any bonding or anything. It's just kind of a fact that exists. And I think it's fine that this professor losing his mind is reason enough to open up the office and have a plot. But to have Sheldon actually have motivation to take that office, like to be driven away by Raj or like, why, why wouldn't Raj and Sheldon fight over it? Why bring Kripke in at all? Like, why not have the two of them fighting over who gets the office? And then it's just not a fight between two people choosing completely arbitrary reasons for who should get it. But then it's another fight in the group about like the, the battle between who is like the superior intellect versus who can just survive in the university environment better. Those kinds of things. All stuff I I want to see. Yeah, I guess all of that is fair. I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is because uh, Raj is an astronomer and it's a theoretical, the office has to go to a theoretical physicist, but the episode contrives it that way. There's no real reason it had, like, that anybody, nobody watching the show cares that much about whether, like, the rules of office reallocation there, and frankly no I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure that's an office in the first place no one cares about that yes and also i'm not sure i ever knew that kripke was a theoretical physicist like i knew he worked at the university but i had no idea what he did i don't know if it's ever been stated what he did before i don't think it's I... ever been important other than that he's also a nerd uh by merit of speech impediment alone yes Although you're right, in this episode, I feel like uh, they give him sort of an interesting solidarity with Sheldon, and they make him seem uh, they make him seem inept. More, he's basically uh, in earlier episodes when he was antagonistic, he appeared more competent compared to most of the other nerds. And in this episode, they really bring him down to the exact same level as Sheldon, so that they can compete equally. And so he's equally socially inept, and then he's equally bad at sports. Yeah, that was kind of, if there was any joke about Kripke's They nerfed him. Uh, it would be that he would be a normal, competent person if not for his speech impediment. And that's why he's forced to walk among the ranks of the other nerds. But yeah, now he's just another he's just another goober. He doesn't even have that. He, he apparently has as little physical skill and social wherewithal as anyone else. And he can't pronounce his R's right, and it's never not funny. Um, or his L's, R's and L's. You know, I took a couple linguistics classes. I can't remember what I can't remember any of those goddamn phonemes or morphemes or any of that. I don't know. What else we got going on here? I mean, the Amy Penny stuff. Uh, I still think is great. 
Um, I mean, not really like comedy wise, but just that, yeah, Amy gets Penny this intense gift and whether or not the gift uh, is cool or something that Penny likes, uh, the fact that Amy calls out Penny and saying that I think I'm more into this friendship than you are, that's tough. Because that, I think, I think uh, asymmetrical friendships are probably more common than than not. Yes. Yeah. And, and they suck. Yeah. And I mean, as the person who's clearly more invested in this friendship, can I just say, it's never fun when... <laughs> When the other person is so narcissistic and egotistical and monomaniacal about everything and you just give and give and give and they take and take and take and nothing nothing ever works out. It's exhausting. Well, yeah, but you get to spend time with me. <laughs> anyway, I was joking. But yeah, no, I found that part. Well, so I didn't mean to I didn't mean to take away from it because you it is it is both you're right that it's unfortunate when it happens in real life and also very common and you and Amy is probably right that well it's just transparently the case that Amy is more invested in like Amy and Penny than Penny is because Amy is too invested in Amy and Penny so there's there's an argument perhaps to be made that at least some of the time like one person has like a reasonable and chill understanding of what a relationship should be and then the other person it just like is putting too much of their identity into the friendship. Not that I would ever do anything like that or identify with people who do that. But what I, I guess what I'm saying is in other, there have been other times on this show. Like I think when, uh, you know, Penny was going or when Bernadette was going to pick out like wedding dresses and only invited Penny and didn't invite Amy. And that was like a little shitty. And I understood why, uh, Amy's feelings were hurt right. this time though. Amy commits what is obviously an actual and very, like, obvious faux pas. She she gets Penny an ugly and unwanted and awkward and all-consuming present. I yeah. don't actually think that uh, – I don't – both I don't think that Penny is a bad person for not wanting it. No, not and at I, all. And I definitely don't think that in real life someone being like, hey, I appreciate what you – I know that we're friends and I care about me – but uh, I don't want this thing. If they then came back and said, well, oh, obviously that's because you don't care about this friendship as much as I do. That would be a dick move. Yeah, I don't know. All of it is very, I think, understandable. And I think it's also uh, particularly difficult here because Penny now knows that her friendship with uh, Amy is worth, just in gestures, at least $3,000. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's where... Um, I don't know. Like, I, I remember dating someone once, and I, I got her uh, memory cards or something for Christmas because she talked about how she needed memory cards real bad. Uh, and then she got me, like, an intended DS, and I was like, Oh, no. Oopsie doodle. <laughs> like, neither of us had the money. Uh, well, I, I know neither of us could have afforded a DS, and so one of us has financially hurt ourselves, and I've I've given the most boring dildo practical thing. But that was one of those moments where it was kind of like, ready, set, ah, we didn't we didn't meet each other in the middle. Oh, we have to rethink what this friendship slash relationship means. Mm. Yeah, <sighs> got a lot of good time out of that DS though. That's. <laughs> 
damn, P- played some pretty good Castlevania games. Uh, played that first uh, Warriors of Light game. That wasn't really that great. Ooh, played The World Ends With You. Love that game. Love that game. And you know what, Kyle? Actually, uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to force a-, a branching pathway here. We can keep talking about this middle of the road episode. Or uh, we've had enough tefical- technical difficulties I'm afraid of the, the connection crapping out again. I'm almost, uh, I'm, I'm much more inclined to start moving towards our nerd thing of the week as early in this episode as it may be. But is there anything else about this episode you'd like to talk about? Uh, no. I, uh, in fact, I was just going to say, I think all, all of those uh, those DS Castlevania games are supposed to be some of the best in the series, and they were all recently ported to the Switch, so... Yeah, uh, apparently. Or is it the? Or is it the? Maybe I'm thinking of it's. Maybe it's the advanced games. I don't know. But. Oh no, you're right. So it is the advanced games, but one of them, uh, the third one, maybe the second one, whichever one has Soma in it. Um, its sequel came out on the DS. It spanned systems, but yeah, the the advanced collection recently came out. So. Um, in that that first one of the Soma, some people say it's the best of all the Castlevania games. I don't know. I don't know. I remember enjoying those, but that's that's a big claim. So yeah, uh, listeners, uh, it's just not coming together this time. The the fates don't want to keep uh, Kyle and my internet connection connected uh, for for whoever's detriment. And so uh, let us bid adieu to this totally middle of the road episode. And move on to the things that actually bring spark and joy and other things to our life. Kyle, I have something in mind, but you are free to start. Yeah, uh, I will go first just because mine is not super interesting, but I did like it. I've been watching too much TV recently to fill the empty void in my life. And uh, one of the shows that I binged uh, was Only Murders in the Building, which is a this is a very twee show for me to recommend. But uh, I saw I the first episode of the only real question is which one of the two of us is more like Steve Martin in that show. I feel like it's, I I feel like of all, like when I was watching, I was like, oh, I'm obviously Steve Martin in this show. But now I'm thinking about you as my friend. And now I think of the two of us, you are obviously Steve Martin in this show. And I am Martin Short. Not that I'm really that much like Martin Short, but neither it's of just, us. Is... You just be the less of the Steve Martin, the two of the So Martin Short just goes to you by default. Yes, I think that's right. And he he's, you know, he, short end of the he's, stick. he's obsessed with, he's, you know, obsessed with Broadway musicals. So there, there's, at oh least yeah, that. that's much more on you. I don't know anything about that. I don't know. I identify more as a Selena Gomez myself, but yeah, you would, but tell us uh, about the show. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, because of my strong bias against Steve Martin for reasons that are too lazy to explain, I couldn't get into the show, but tell us why you loved it. It's just, it's, I thought it was, uh, pretty fun and wholesome considering it is about, you know, a pretty grisly murder that happens in this uh, New York apartment building. So the whole thing is, I don't even want to, uh, send up or satire is not the right word, but basically it's, I don't know, it's its own, it's, it's very twee. It's, uh, I said that twice now, but it's, yeah. well, the it applies. Pr- yeah, it's like a you know, it's like something I'm trying to think. I don't. It's not quite Wes Anderson, but it's not. It's something like that, or maybe like Nora Ephron back in the day. It's 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 like part of it is you have to understand the main character is not any of the three people in the story. The main character is this New York apartment co-op building 
where all of these characters have lived for basically their whole lives and has this whole, you know, ongoing backstory and all of these crazy characters. So that's such like a New York centric, uh, hyper specific, uh, obsession with like a particular architecture and a particular class of people that it should be off putting, but it's not, it's just sort of, it's like, you know, frankly, it's like, you know, watching a murder mystery that's set in like a, you know, a cozy hotel or something. So there's that. And so, yeah, so this guy maybe commits suicide. The police think he commits suicide, but three of the people who live in the apartment building, who the only thing that they share in common is a love of true crime murder podcasts, decide to investigate the decide while before the body has left the scene to go and look at it. And they think that it's possible that it was a murder. So the rest of the season is them trying to figure out was this person murdered and if they were murdered, how and why. And of course, in the process of doing that, they, uh, you know, they slowly unravel like certain dark secrets in the, in the past of the building and the tenants who live there. And they have a bunch of fun interactions with other quirky people who live in the building. Um, one of whom is Nathan Lane, who is, in my opinion, you know, gives one of the strongest performances in the show, and another of whom is is Sting playing himself. Oh, nice. Um, yes. So Gordon one Sumner. Yeah, one whole episode is about um, whether or not Sting is actually the person who murdered the guy in the building, and of course, it's uh, it's absurd that Sting would be the murderer, but it's it's still fun to watch them like try to figure out if it is Sting, how would we catch him? How would one catch Sting? Uh, mean, it would it would be difficult. The police already work for him. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about his uh, incredible... God damn it! You're not even gonna... Yeah? Uh, uh, it wasn't a great joke. It's fine. All right. Well, let's, let's acknowledge no, that the joke happened. It, no, I don't know why I felt like I knocked it out of the park with that one. It's not... <laughs> it, in retrospect, your 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 deflated yeah was the correct response. Anyway, <laughs> what were you saying? It, it's no longer relevant. I was just going to say that you know, if Sting is shown through his climatic battle in Dune playing Fade, that he's he's good at you know using underhanded knifing techniques to to kill. So I, I think he could get away with it pretty easily if he he really tried. But I don't did know you know if that? Comes up. They talk about this. I don't want to because it's already come up in another podcast, but uh, I didn't know this before they were talking about it. I'm a bin bam. Did you know that one of the things that Sting is famous for is that he said in an interview once that he, you know, he tries to avoid coming as for as long as possible in all any and all sexual encounters. Every time since the moment you said his name, I've been trying so hard not to bring that up because that's my number one Sting fact. Hey. You know, now, what? Well, I, I feel like it's a vi- it's like a it's like one of those viruses. It's just not something you can know. And at the very least, the fr- from the moment you learn it, you have to pass it on to at least one person <laughs> or you will eventually or it will eventually consume you. So now we have passed that on to our audience unwillingly and they know that fact. Hard right turn, everyone. Kyle, thank you very much for <laughs> recommending Only Murders in the Building. That's on Hulu, is it? Yes. All right. My recommendation is Sting. <laughs> Um, just, he's, he's, I don't know. I don't know whether personally he's a good guy or not. I know that he has done a lot of different work, 
uh, making him uh, a very dynamic and interesting person whose career alone is worth following, let alone his personal exploits of being able to hold in his semen for hours on end. Uh, but yeah, for those of you unaware uh, of, of Sting's many exploits, I think he, he's most famously, at least initially known, as being frontman of the early uh, uh, rock, almost kind of reggae group with a little bit of ska in there, The Police. They're kind of hard to define in a way that made them, uh, I think, uh, a very interesting band to follow. Had big hits like Roxanne. Uh, which was my sister's name. Didn't know at the time when I was a child growing up that the song was about a prostitute, but it was really fun to make her uncomfortable with, chasing her around whenever that song played. Uh, also, what we got, Message in a Bottle, Walking on the Moon, a lot of great songs. And then Don't Stand moved- So Close to Me, which is about, uh, I believe, an adult man having sex with a child. Well, so I think... Uh, yeah, more or less. I think it's like about a, 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 an adult teacher... Like freaking out about a student coming on to him. Well, um, yes, but specifically by the end of that song, it seems like they have gotten together, and so it's less about "Don't stand close to me" because it makes me uncomfortable, as it is "Don't stand close to me" because then everybody else will yeah, figure out that the fuzz we is gonna be are, onto us. yeah, the, that we are boning. Um. Yeah, and then he he later had a, a solo career. Uh, sounds as... fucking banger of a song, though. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, that's the thing. The police were great, and then he goes on to have a, a solo career where he becomes a much more <laughs> serious, self-important artist. And you know what? Listen to that shit if you're fucking in your your late forties or early fifties and you're vaguely into Eastern religions, you know? If you're kinda like, I'm white, but you know, sometimes I wonder if there are other people who aren't white. Hey, that's what later career sting is. Uh it does feel like all of that music feels like something that like the do like that should play in the background of like uh like during a soft scene in like a Highlander movie, like, you know, as the white guy with his katana, you know, strides off into the sunset with the years on his back. Well, and I don't mean to say it's bad. There's nothing like, it's not unlistenable. It's just, it's, as far as my tastes go, this is not Nick Hyde music. This is on the opposite end of the spectrum for what Nick Hyde is into. Not bad. Just not my thing. Uh, but yeah, he's also done acting work, like uh, being uh, the, uh, I don't know, is he a Harkonnen? I mean, he's a Harkonnen. I don't know if his name is like Fade Harkonnen in Dune. Uh, he's also in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels as bar owner. Uh, and uh, also, I want to re- make this specific recommendation. This is the real recommendation for Sting. Sting is um, he? There is a video for a song uh, he covered called "I'm So Happy." I can't stop crying. And I'm not going to explain it. Just watch it. Just do yourself the favor and watch the whole thing. So that's it. I'm recommending Sting generally and specifically the music video for I'm So Happy I Can't Stop Crying. All right. So we're not going to talk about Bronson lubing himself up with butter to fight the police? There have been so many technical difficulties. I don't know if the part about Sheldon telling the president to stick butter up his own ass made it into the final cut. But uh, yeah. Okay. Well, if it did, if it did, then let's just run a little longer. Just, just, just yeah. tell me how the story ends, Dad. I know. I know. Sure. Skip to the good part. Okay. So yeah, if we didn't mention it, yeah, Sheldon tells the president to stick butter up his ass. The circumstances are no longer relevant. 
Uh, and that made me think of the film Bronson, which I always forget is by um, directed by, uh, if you want to say his name from Nicholas me, Winding Refn. Thank you. Uh, I, who is, I, I'm going to say a great director. Uh, I'm also going to say divisive director, even for me. I found his films very hit and miss, but I still genuinely appreciate him. Um, and one of his earlier movies was his film Bronson. And the more we talk about it, the more I'm confident. I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I'll keep it short. But it's about this guy who calls himself Charles Bronson. I don't think that's his real name. And he no, you meet the you meet. There's a scene in the movie where a dude's like basically gives him that name. Yes, yeah, it's he he takes it on you know to be a tough guy. Uh, but he is the UK's longest serving prisoner, um, and it's all related to a robbery. Where he got like, I don't know, 20 euros, or not euros, 20 pounds, something like that. Small change. But his behavior in prison has been so rough. And he gets in fights with guards and other inmates so often that he's been on like a never-ending prison term in spite of his initial sentence being so slight. Um, things. Oh, and so Tom Hardy plays him, does a fantastic job. And it explores a lot of the more interesting aspects of Bronson, as any film should. You know, I wouldn't really want to dive into the boring aspects of him. Um, but the more interesting aspects being the fighting, and uh, that he was an artist, not like a talented artist, but an earnest, genuine effort artist. And in his fighting, there is a scene where it's revealed that he's been hoarding butter, the reason being that uh, he gets totally naked completely lubes himself up with butter, kidnaps a guard and tells him to help him lube himself up with butter, and then starts a fight with a whole bunch of guards in his cell who can't extract him because he's too gosh darn slippery. And that alone is worth watching the movie. You think I've spoiled it for you? You're wrong. You want to see it. You want to see a butt-naked, beefy... Tom Hardy, totally with like, bald. With a to be fair, you know what? Yeah, you know what Tom Hardy looks like. If you have not seen him until you've seen the mustache yeah, that he yeah, sports. This is not Tom Hardy like trying to go on a date. This is Tom Hardy <laughs> acting, and by acting, I mean he's got a shitty mustache, <laughs> and he is great. Also, it's a great movie. So yeah, watch and a weird voice. That remember when Tom Hardy's idea of acting was just like I'm going to talk with a weird voice in this movie. That's what acting is, Kyle. Have you not seen a movie? <laughs> uh, you know what my you know what's my favorite uh, my favorite Nick Reffin movie is probably Drive because I'm white and in my early thirties. Oh, um, same, same. But uh, I actually I really really got in the one that uh, a lot of people really even who are big fans of him really hated was Only God Forgives and I fucking love that movie I thought it was fantastic I think it's worth it for the scene alone where Ryan Gosling you know f- uh, heartthrob of a whole generation just gets the shit kicked out of him by just like a random Thai policeman and the build-up to that fight scene is so epic that you're like oh ryan gosling the protagonist of this film this like hardcore badass who's plays like bank robbers and criminals and everybody else he's obviously going and he's squaring up to fight he's circling this guy he's rolling up the sleeves this is going to be epic and nope just gets the brakes beaten off of him and it is glorious uh another uh, backdoor recommendation 
for a much less intense but nonetheless brutal fight scene. Um, well, I'm not spoilers. I'm not going to spoil too much here, but near the end of season two of Atlanta, uh, Donald Glover's character Earn challenges someone to a fight that he is not ready for <laughs> and it does not go well for him it's not a long fight but oof it's it's rough but it, it is good to see like what looked to me like a pretty realistic depiction of someone not knowing what they're doing and getting taught something <laughs> a hard way um yeah i may have to look that up on youtube because now i'm curious yeah it's fu- so like i don't know how you'll feel about it as someone who actually knows how fights go but it's it's someone who knows how to fight versus someone who doesn't, and it's it's fun to watch. But anyway, um, yeah, after being mired in te- technical difficulties and getting through a, a pretty slummy episode, here we are, refreshing again, thanks to Nicholas Wendling-Riffling and a couple other things that we enjoy. Yeah, talking about the things that really matter in life. Niche films that, that really... Uh, yeah. You know, that are basically the the cinematic equivalent of, like, craft IPAs. Yeah. Hey, you know what else, everyone? I'm, I'm playing Shin Megami Tensei 3. I'll be back to recommend that later, probably. I am, and I've, I got your back. I'm currently working through the Danganronpa trilogy now that it's on Switch. So we will have plenty of anime video game goodness to talk about. All right. You know, on that note, I think uh, we've confirmed that neither of us is having sex for a while. And so let us get back to to enjoying our terrible nerd things.